I'm Natalie Heacock. And I'm Chelsea Brown. And this is Lumber Slingers. Each podcast, we will be bringing you relevant and useful industry information, including interviews with top lumber professionals and discussion of current events in the industry. Whether it be lumber grading, industry and market trends, or who's who in lumber, we hope to extend your current tally on industry knowledge. All right. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Lumber Slingers. Um, Today, we have a really fun guest with us. Her name is Terry Haddix, and she's my resident expert on all things lumber. So when I don't know where to go, I go to Terry. So we thought it'd be fun to bring her to everyone else. Terry, do you want to go ahead and start with your background? Give a little intro. Sure. I've been in the business for about 25 years. I started off working for a company that owns several mills on the West Coast as a trader assistant to a small floor, bounced around to a couple of different wholesalers, spent about 12 years with a remanufacturer out east of Portland. And I've been in my current chair for about 10 years doing trader assistant stuff, inside sales, gosh, whatever, whatever, you name it. I've got my, I've got a finger in it somewhere. In what generation lumber lady are you? That's a good question. Um, I'm actually fifth generation lumber for my family. My dad retired from a wholesale floor. His dad was a wholesale traveling lumber salesman. And the two generations previous owned either a lumber mill or a retail lumber yard one or the other at various points in their careers. So dad likes to say, I have sawdust in my veins. Sawdust in your veins. I love it. That should be a tagline. The buck is going to stop with me because the kid has no interest in slinging sticks at all. So yet. So far. far, Just asked Chelsea if she was going to get into lumber when she was. I definitely was not going to get through. (laughs) Things can change. Holding out hope. Yeah. You know, it's funny because today I was actually just talking about when Chelsea and I had this brainchild to make this podcast, what we originally wanted to do with it, which was small, short podcasts that would be knowledgeable for people who've been in lumber for a day or people who've been here for a long time, a refresher maybe on different different aspects. And I'm really excited about today's episode because this was the one I wanted to do um, that the one that I would have wanted when I started in the industry, you know, a lot of people are, we, we drive around, we visit mills, we do this, we do that. And in between those visits, I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we had something where we could listen to a podcast that would reinforce what we just learned, but in an easy way to digest. And so i um, really excited that you're here to start some of that with us. So before we get started, would you briefly explain what terms of the trade is and how you use it. And maybe Chelsea, you could give some input on how you used it when you got started. Um, so terms of the trade is, uh, they call them, it, Random Links puts it out. They put out a, a newsletter for the industry that follows like pricing ups and downs and, and trends and things like that. And so Random Links published this book called Terms of the Trade. And it says on the cover that it's a dictionary for the forest products industry. And that's exactly what it is. So not... I don't use it every day, but I still use it 25 years in and somebody will ask me a question that if they hadn't asked me, I would have thought I knew the answer to. So for example, like the difference between rough and rough full sawn or the difference between a molder and a planer, that kind of thing, you kind of get into these ruts where you think, you know, 
what you know. And when somebody asks you, you kind of go, oh, well, wait a second, uh, maybe not. And so Terms of the Trade is a great book for people like me who've been in it for a really long time and for people that are really trying to pick up all the different acronyms and the letter combinations and the wacky terminology that we use that nobody else in any other industry uses. This is a fantastic resource. How you use terms of the trade when you started. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I just, I use terms of the trade, like much like a dictionary. And sometimes it didn't even make sense. It really, for me, the way I learn is visual. So if I was at a mill and I kept hearing a word and they're pointing at something, reading, pulling that out, I would carry it with me everywhere. So I, it really was helpful in the beginning, um, just to, like Terry said, reinforce what you see, but also seeing it in person really helps, puts a idea in your head. Like, I remember everybody always talked about Wayne. What's Wayne? You know, like this unit is 80% Wayne, no Wayne. It's like, what does that even mean? So you look at a unit with Wayne and then, okay, now it makes sense. But um, very helpful book. I think that that's a great place to start for anybody that's new in the industry. It can be overwhelming, but there's a lot of good information in there. Awesome. So to kick things off, I thought we'd start kind of high level and then dig in. So why don't you talk to us about the difference between softwood and hardwood? Yeah. Okay. So the difference between softwood and hardwood is one is soft and one is hard. Um, <laughs> um, so, so there's, there's this, this. All wood is hard, isn't it? To varying degrees. Yes. So there's um, this chart. It's called the Janka scale. It's J-A-N-K-A. And it talks about the amount of pressure that it takes to push a ball bearing of a certain size to a certain depth within a piece of wood. The, the Janka scale tracks hardness. Okay. So for example, Western Red Cedar would have a lower Janka scale number than Doug fir, which would have a lower Janka scale number than oak, which would be lower than Ipe or one of those really hard, dense imported hardwoods. Well, okay, so density, that's a really good, a really good way to describe it as well. The density of a softwood is lower than the density of a hardwood. So you can think that softwood would be something that would lend itself to an application where it's not basically touched. So you don't see softwood floors, for example right? You don't have a Western red cedar floor, but it's beautiful to see on the wall and there will be no pressure applied to it whatsoever. If you want to talk about the difference between the trees, um, hardwoods tend to be deciduous, the ones with leaves, and softwoods tend to be evergreens, ones with needles. I didn't know any of that. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. All right. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I learned a lot in that little moment. Let's keep this going. Okay. Okay, cool. Jenka scale is really cool. I mean, you could just Google it and you'll see it and not all of them cover all the different species that you would come across. Um, but when back in the day when I was doing imported flooring, that was something that people talked about all the time. It also is somewhat relatable to the actual physical weight of the wood. You can imagine if something has a higher Jenka scale rating. So like I don't know, pick a number 900 and something, you would imagine that that piece of wood is going to weigh more than something that's down in the hundreds, right? Like in the low hundreds. So you can put it looks like 10,000 feet. Right, right. Yeah. So you can put like 10,000 feet of Ipe into a container and it's full. And that because you're just maxed out weight wise. 
but you can obviously put what 25,000 board feet of fur, 20 to 25 of fur into a container because they're so drastically different as far as density and hardness. Wow. Hardwoods must be obviously a lot more expensive to ship per thousand board feet, you think. Or just right. Yeah. Board foot, well, board footage or square footage, I mean, whichever way you're selling it. But yeah, I mean, obviously, if you can only put 10 in a container, it still costs you the same amount of money to move the container because it is what it is, right? So if you've got 10,000 feet in there and you're paying $1,500, that $1,500 gets spread out over more volume if you've got duck fur in the container than it does if you have oak or epay or something like that. Yeah. But then those price points make up for it too. You're not paying the same for ePay as you are for Doug Fur or for Brazilian cherries you are for Cedar. And right. a smart trader would factor those things in, right? <laughs> yes, they would. <laughs> Anything else interesting to note about hardwoods versus softwoods? Well, because of the density, there may be issues as far as using coatings and things like that. The grain structure tends to be finer. Um, some take stains better than others. If you're going to use, no matter if you're going to use a softwood or a hardwood, you really need to understand what you're working with and how it fits with the application that you're going to use it for. And I keep going back to ePay, but that's just one that's that's really popular. For example, if you're going to use ePay for your decking, you have to pre-drill. You can't just get out your pneumatic nailer and pound your deck down and be done in a day like you could with cedar. You can't just use the same type of coating that you would on cedar for ePay because the grain structure is so tight and it's so resinous that it only takes certain coatings, right? So I guess the big takeaway would be if you're going to use, if you're going to use wood, understand what you're using and make sure that it's right for the application that you're using it for. Because it would suck if you put down an ePay deck and you're like, oh, go to Home Depot and get some cedar coating and it's not going to work. Yeah. And that'd be a lot of money wasted. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I just took a trip back to the South and I learned all about Ipe, Balao, and Garapa. And I feel like really not an expert on them, but it was, it was cool to see them and see all the applications of them because Mm -hmm. I thought it was mainly for decking, but a lot of it is aesthetic, like different types of things on the wall um, with fountains and yada, yada. So it's really cool wood. Well, they come in so many different colors. To be honest, I mean, the the softwoods color scheme is fairly monochromatic. I mean, you can lean toward the reds and you can lean toward the yellows a little bit, but it's pretty middle of the road. But you look at all the different hardwoods that you get from around the world. I've seen hardwood that's solid black. I've seen hardwood that it's called canary wood, colloquially, and it's because it's it's a bright yellow color. Right. So, I mean, you do you have a color scheme. There's a wood out there for you. It's pretty cool. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much. So I guess next level then, and I'm sure I'm not doing this in the correct order. So Chelsea, please, please correct me. But can you start talking a little bit about the grain? Okay. So if it's a flat grain piece of wood and the the grain goes from side to side and it absorbs water, the increase in size, because think of wood like a sponge, right? It gets wet and it expands. Okay, so when the grain is flat and it goes from side to side, the expansion is also going to go from side to side. If it's vertical grain, the expansion is going to go up and down. So imagine if you have a deck and it's all flat grain, which is not a smart move, 
And when it's installed, there's no expansion space between the boards. So they're side to side, they're butted right up next to each other. And you get that monsoon and it, and it rains and rains and rains, right? And so your, your deck absorbs all of this water. Well, what's gonna happen is your boards are going to expand as if they were that sponge, right? So they're going to expand and they're going to expand side to side and they're gonna push against each other. So your boards potentially are going to start buckling where they come together. One's gonna to push really hard against the other. The other one's gonna push right up against the same one. And where, where's that pressure gonna go? It's gonna go up or it's gonna go down. Generally it goes up because there's no, there's no fastener above to, to hold it in place. There's nowhere to go down, right? I've seen decks buckle all the way across and push boards out off the side of the deck. If there's nothing, wow. if there's no post or something there to hold it, right? I've seen a board, a board and a half pushed off the side of the deck because it's just absorbed so much moisture. The boards have expanded. It doesn't have anywhere to go. You certainly don't want that to happen on your deck. And you really don't want that to happen in your kitchen or your bathroom. Right off the top, I wouldn't recommend putting wood in your bathroom anyway because it's too wet. But if you're going to, use something that's vertical grain. Because if it gets wet to the point where it has to expand, and we're talking about a fair amount of wood, we're not talking about stepping out of the shower and then wiping it off, right? We're talking about stepping out of the shower, leaving it there for days, coming back, stepping out of the shower again, right? It's a, it's a, it's a fair amount of wood. So if it's vertical grain and it has to expand, it's going to expand upward. It's not going to outwardly damage your floor. Yes, it's going to raise that piece of wood relative to the pieces that are around it. But that's fairly fixable. It's pretty easy. Give it time to dry out. Maybe you have to sand it down a little bit where it doesn't settle evenly, that kind of thing. Much easier than having to pull out buckled boards and potentially redo your whole floor. So the appeal is vertical grain is much more stable than a flat grain. Again, it goes back to your application. What are you going to use it for? Make sure you're getting the right piece of wood for what you what you really want to do. What would an ideal application for a mixed grain product be? Obviously, there's a big price difference for mixed grain or flat grain. What's a good application for that? Well, visually, it looks distinctly different than a piece of vertical grain on the face, right? Because that those growth rings are, are visible across the top of the board as well. So if you like the look of a mixed grain piece of wood, where it's kind of a I don't really know how to say it other than it's kind of a streak sort of look. Um, you could put it on your wall. You could put it um, on your ceilings. You could make furniture out of it. It's a neat look. And if you're not, if it's not going to be in an environment where it's going to expose it, be exposed to any sort of stressor, you can put it wherever you want to. It's just a matter of the, the visual appeal. Makes sense. Just don't put it on the floor. That's just crazy. Awesome. Well, I learned some more things, so it's been great. <laughs> That's why I'm here. Right on. Uh, we'll have an episode where I teach you all about accounting. And Absolutely. then it'll be really exciting, riveting for you, really. Yes, you can teach Come us down. how to read a profit and loss statements. Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, I think another interesting one that you've explained before that I remember on one of our staff tours, you explained really well. And a lot of people were so excited that they came away with this new knowledge about <laughs> Natalie, <laughs> 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 the difference between ripping and resawing 
um, oh, okay. a piece of lumber. Yeah. Okay. Can you explain that? I certainly can. Okay, so let's go back to that two by four, right? Let's make it a little bit bigger. Let's let's picture like a two by eight, right? And you're holding it in front of you and you have two inches in each hand, basically, in this eight inch stretch of material. So if you're going to rip it, imagine you get a little, get your fingers in the middle of the board, right? There's like a little gap in the middle of the board and you pull your hands apart while you're, you're ripping the board, right? And because you're hulkish, that rip is going to go all the way down to the end of the board. So you're ripping the board in half. Okay. So that's what a rip saw does. It goes, it changes the width of the board. A resaw, you take that same board and you tip it up on end. So you've got two inches at the top, two inches at the bottom. You know, you've got your sides on the top and the bottom. A resaw is going to go right down the middle of that. And it's going to take your two inch board and it's going to turn it into two one inch boards. Make sense? Makes sense. Okay. It's fantastic. Okay. Yep. Yeah. The visual, of the, you know, the, the hulkish sort of visual really helps a lot of people because it's, if you envision yourself ripping that piece of wood apart, it kind of makes that connection because you can't really, I mean, if you were doing that with it the other way, I mean, I don't know. Mentally, I have a, I have a harder time visualizing myself resawing <laughs> something with my hands. Go figure. Yes, because it is how you set the, you know, piece of wood up onto wherever the the blade is, right? So it's mm-hmm. either going, it's going down the middle either way. Most of the right. time, unless you're off center cutting, but most of the time it's going down the middle. It just depends on which way the board is. You know, if you're doing the thickness or the width. Absolutely. Yeah, and you're you're not changing where the blade is. You, like you said, you're not changing where the blade is. You're changing how the wood is oriented as it goes through the saw. Cool, cool. Yes. Wow. Very Have you ever thought about being a professor? <laughs> not enough money in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, okay, well, moving on. Yes. Um, can you talk about the difference between a planer and a molder, which I just learned uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. A lot of people use molder and planer interchangeably, and that's not entirely wrong. If you want to look at the molder planer combo as different than the ripsaw resaw combo, a molder and a planer are going to turn out a piece of wood that is surfaced in some way. So is it surfacing four sides or is it running it to a pattern? That's basically the difference. So a planer is going to give you a board, something that surfaced four sides. A molder is something that is going to uh, produce a piece of molding or a piece of uh, something that's fairly detailed in the the pattern. So maybe like that combo ceiling that's got an edge bead and a center bead and it's a reversible face. So if you think about it as, like, I know I've used a cake analogy before to talk about the difference between rough and rough full sawn, right? So if you think about, I don't know, think about mustard, right? So a planer is mustard. It's yellow mustard. It's that obnoxious stuff, right? That's at every picnic. A molder is like a spicy hot mustard, right? So it's just a, it's just a little, a little bit extra, a little bit more, right? So it's just, um, it's just more of a fine tune. If you think about it in sort of a hierarchy of 
where the wood, the food chain essentially of how wood travels through a plant, right? Way down at the sawmill, you've got other equipment in your reman facility, you've got the resaw and the rip saw and chop saws and other things like that. But then when you go to the molders and the planers, it's just a little bit more or not a little bit more. It is a finished product at that point, right? It's something that you could take off the planer or the molder and you could put it the racks of the dis- in the racks of the distribution center or at Home Depot or whatever. So it's something that you or I would grab and put on the walls of your home versus a piece of lumber that you buy knowing that you're going to have to surface it and you're going to have to put the details on it. The planer and the molder are the machines that put the put the details on the wood. And you can plane on a molder, but you can't mold on a planer. Exactly. Because remember, the, the molder has the more detailed structure coming off of it, right? So the knives look substantially different. Um, <laughs> if you've ever looked inside of a molder or a planer, which I wouldn't necessarily recommend like all the time because it's kind of scary. You go in there and you lift up the thing or the pros lift up the cover and you can see these knives. They're essentially maybe like a soup can, right? And they're, and they have little knives sticking out of them. So as your soup can rotates and the board goes by, wherever the soup can has little juts of steel coming out, those are the blades and where they hit is how the pattern is created. So you've got different blades for every pattern. You've got a different soup can for sealing than you do for, I don't know, some other pattern that I can't even think of off the top of my head, but. Just like a regular TNG or yeah. Nickel. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Nickel gap. Exactly. Or some flooring patterns will have a micro bevel on the edges. That's going to be a different soup can than, like I said, the ceiling pattern that's putting a center bead down the middle and an edge bead on the sides. And when I learned this, I had asked, well, why wouldn't everyone just buy a molder then? Forget the planer. If the molder can plane, why do you need the planer? And I thought it was interesting. They said that, well, one, to change the knives on a molder takes like, I don't know, a lot longer than changing the knives on a planer. So, you know, there's that slowdown in production. And then two, a planer can surface much faster than a molder. I hope I said that right. I think that's right. That makes sense. So that that was really interesting. It was really cool. It's really neat when you get to see it side by side, kind of like what Chelsea was saying, when you're out in the field and you actually see it, you're like, oh, this makes a lot more sense than this dictionary of words. Right, right, yeah. More, definitely more meaningful. Absolutely. We can't all, all get out all the time, so. Again, a resource. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, and then we just have some, a few more just kind of definitional words that I thought would be we thought would be really awesome to talk about. So the first kind of grouping would be talking about boards versus timbers versus what's the third one? Like, you know, people say dimensional, dimensional board. You want boards or do you want dimensional or do you want a timber? Those are it's all relevant. Three different things. It's relevant to size. So timber is big. Boards are three small. by and wider, would you say? Dimensionals in the middle. I should have written that down. Um, well, let's just go to terms of the trade, shall we? Okay. Shall. What do you want me to look at? Boards or dimensional? Well, boards are one inch, right? So anything that's one by... Dimension. Lumber that is from two inches in nominal thickness up to, but not including, 
five inches thick, and that is two or more inches in width. See, so that's about how like a new lumber person could get really screwed up because Mm -hmm. in my world, if somebody's talking about a board, it's always one by one by four through 12 usually. Mm -hmm. And if you're talking, that's the only thing you use board for. So again, people all use the same words here, but different language, right? different languages. Yeah. Yeah. So by definition, it could be up to five. But not including five. But not including five. But not including five. Board, it says, is a piece of lumber that's less than two inches in nominal thickness and one inch or more in width. So in that particular instance, if I were a person that was stuck just using the book and was trying to define, get a visual of what it was, I do a lot of when people ask me about grain structure and things like that and like, like what is quarters on and that kind of thing, grab a piece of paper and draw it out and compare what you put on paper in front of you and create the visual for yourself. Because like you said, Chelsea, not everybody has the privilege that we do where we can, we can basically say, I want to go to a mill and we just go, right? And we have a lot of other professionals and very willing to share colleagues in our circle that will essentially hold our hands and explain these things to us as many times as it takes. Uh, But if you don't have access to those things, just grab the terms of the trade or Google it. You can learn a lot by Googling. You'd be surprised how much of this stuff is, is just generally out there. And create your own visuals. Don't just sit there and get confused by the book. You know, take do the legwork and figure it out. Terms of the trade will get you started, but if if you don't if you don't take the next step yourself, you cannot rely on terms of the trade. A little off topic, bit of a rant maybe, but no. So you would say um, a board. Can you go back to that? Sure. I'm kind of confused. Board is one inch. Anything less than two inches? Is that what the definition said? Okay, it's got three definitions or two definitions here. A piece of lumber that is less than two inches in nominal thickness. We should talk about nominal versus net as well. So a piece of lumber is less than two inches in nominal thickness and one inch or more in width. Well, there's no such thing as a two by one, right? So it would be like a two by two, two by three. Okay. Mention lumber that is from two inches in nominal thickness up to, but not including five inches thick. And that is two or more inches in width. And again, you don't have a five by two, right? So you have to think about those kinds of things. And then a timber, Chelsea, what do you, what do you think of when you think of timber? Well, I buy, you know, I consider anything over three, you know, if I buy like three by six through 12, three and up, I consider a timber. Timber, timber, timber. A size classification of lumber that includes pieces that are at least five inches in their smallest dimension. And I think that also goes to the grading rules. If you're looking at grading rules for like free heart center timbers, it starts at five and above in the grade book. So that would make sense. Generally speaking, if you just think of it in, again, that sort of hierarchy or that, um, I don't know, you know what I'm trying to say. So boards are smaller, <laughs> dimensions in the middle, and timbers are bigger. Big. Yeah, I think that's yeah. a very great general way to, to put it. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Thank you, Terry. That actually ends our time. And I know we have so much more we wanted to cover. So you're going to have to come back for round two for sure. Super happy to do it. You know how much I love the sound of my own voice. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so we're going to do really quick rapid fire and then you're off the hook for the rest of the day. Bring it on. Okay. What's the last book you read? Um, you know, that's a really good question because I just recently started a book that I've had for a number of years on my desk. I'm reading Above the Line, the Urban Meyer book. It's pretty good. Actually, something came up in the in a staff meeting earlier today where I thought to myself, this person needs to read that book because there's some of this behavior going on. So yeah, it's great. Um, I have a huge stack of those types of books that have been recommended to me and I haven't, haven't really cracked them open. So I'm working on actually like scheduling reading time in my day, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, something versus thinking I need to sit down and hammer it out. Awesome. Um, this is going to be a good question for you. What's the most recent thing you learned in the industry? That's a good one. Hmm. You know, I don't even really know. I guess I'm just a little too caught up in the day-to-day to to really stop and think about a lot of new and interesting things. I don't know. Ask me that on the next one and I'll have something for you. (laughs) How would you describe the lumber industry in one word? Inclusive, which will be weird for a lot of people, but it's more inclusive than people give the industry credit for. I think it's, and it might be just by virtue of where I am right now. I'm in a really good spot with some really good people. So maybe, maybe that skews my perception of the industry as a whole, but I do, I would say inclusive. If you want in, if you have questions, if you want to succeed, you want to change your path, start a path, whatever, anybody can, you just got to put in the legwork and raise your hand, right? So it's, it's inclusive. Amen. I like it. Okay. Last one. What is your favorite thing about the industry? The people. Other than Natalie and me. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, it is, it's the people really, you go to different places and you meet different people who all have different experiences in the same industry. I mean, look at us, we're all involved in different aspects of the same industry. We have different perspectives on the same things. And for the most part, people are willing to share their perspectives and their knowledge and their, their hard lessons that they have learned. So other people don't, don't necessarily have to make the same mistakes, right? We all want to see each other succeed. The the wood business, the lumber industry is big. It's big enough for all of us to be successful, let's just say for the most part, right? And so there's a there's a camaraderie among all of us. Oh, you know, you're in the wood business. Oh, I'm in the wood business too, right? Oh, my dad, I know a guy. Do you know this guy? Because you know, all the wood people know each other. But the thing about the wood people is that we do all know each other, right? It's not six degrees of separation. It's like two degrees of separation. (laughs) And I love that. It's just all one big happy family. Very true. And we like to keep adding to that family. Absolutely. Absolutely. More the merrier. Yes. Well, Terry, this has been pleasant. We really appreciate your time. Is there any more rapid fire questions, Natalie? I I don't know. No, that's it. You made it. Excellent. You did it. All right. All right, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, Terry. We'll talk to you guys soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. This is super fun.